right, good morning, church. Do me a favor, take out your Bibles and turn to Ecclesiastes, where we're going to be this morning, man. And I just praise God for our student team, uh, Kel Casto, Josh, all you guys and the work that you do, man. You guys have been working for the past year and a half in really difficult circumstances with students. And man, just it's crazy to see what God has been doing in the hearts of our students in the midst of all of it. Um, and to see the baptisms this morning, man, don't you just praise God for what he's doing in our student ministry. My goodness, next generation. Amen. Well, the really cool thing is the timing of it. I'm over there thinking about what's happening in our student ministry, and I'm thinking about the book of Ecclesiastes, and the whole intent of Ecclesiastes is wisdom for the next generation to, to see that their lives are well lived in the Lord. And it's the whole purpose for the book, and so the timing couldn't have been better for for that. Um, how many of you have heard the phrase, hindsight is 2020, right? How many of you have actually lived and experienced the reality of that phrase, though, right? Uh, you've actually learned on the other side um, from an experience. Or maybe you might say, if I had it to do all over, if I had it to do all over, going through whatever I went through for whatever time period that I went through, um, Maybe I would do the same thing, and I'm glad I did what I did, you know. Or, or you might say, maybe I would do something different knowing what I know now. Maybe, maybe that's even a phrase that, that you would say as well. If I knew then what I know now, X, right? Um, we all say that. And life is like that. We live and we learn. Life is a teacher. Uh, we live and learn. Well, Kaheleth... The philosophy professor from Ecclesiastes, the preacher, the teacher, um, wants to provide hindsight to the next generation before they actually have to go through it and learn it. Because uh, life uh, is a strange teacher. You, you, you learn it and there's negatives to that. It took a long time to learn an easy thing or whatever, you know. Um, and Kaheleth wants to give hindsight. In chapter 1 and 2 really is Koheleth is taking us through um, a philosophical process of thinking about life under the sun. And that is basically life without God, factoring God out. Life in this material world, in this material universe, and all that happens in this life. Um, and he's taking us through a philosophical process, um, and the assumption of much of the book is that life under the sun, the material world, is, is all there is. And, and, and if it is all that there is, um, we're going to go through the process of weaning ourselves from the idea that you can find meaning and purpose and contentment and peace and ultimate happiness in this material world. That's the whole purpose of Ecclesiastes, is to take us down the pathways philosophically without actually having to go through it, Take us down all those pathways and those instinctive things that we can live our life based on and help us get to the end of those paths without actually going down those paths so that we can live life from the beginning with wisdom. He wants to give us that. And chapter 1 shows that if you're looking for meaning and purpose, ultimate happiness in this material world, this universe that we live in, have you looked around and noticed that it's an impersonal, mercy, merciless, machine-like universe, and it doesn't stop or slow down for anyone. 
Parents, have you gotten to those seasons where your kid is about to graduate, you know, whatever, and go to the next season, and you're like, wait, 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 no, 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 right? And what does the universe do? We're going forward. We're moving on. I don't stop for anybody, you know. I've had those times many times where I'm just like, I just love this season. Can we just pause this for a while? And then, nope, 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 we're moving on. We're moving on. And that's this, that's this universe. It's, it just doesn't stop or slow down for anybody at any time. And the finitude of life. The, the, the shortness, the short feel of it um, needs to be thought especially by young people. And Kaheleth doesn't want anyone to waste their life looking for the meaning and purpose and ultimate happiness that we really want in a, in a material world and it, where, where it doesn't exist. And he wants us to um, sort of um, exhaust all of those things as a young person. So that we come to the place of wisdom. And Ecclesiastes is a tough piece of literature, okay? So it's not an easy read. You don't just, uh, you know, flip through this sitting in the backyard in an hour. Um, it, is, it is not meant to be that type of work. Ecclesiastes is wisdom literature. And so it's written like a piece of art. And it's complex. And it, it says things in ways that forces you to begin to wrestle with big things and hard things. Or you, you might even hear him say something, and if you really skim over it, you might miss the point. But if you, li- if you hear it and it probes a little bit of interest in you and you keep chasing that interest, you'll find yourself getting into a little bit of a wrestle of your soul with it. And that, that actually is a good thing. It's not supposed to be a bad thing. If you feel tension in your heart or wrestling or a little bit of pain or a struggle with the content of Ecclesiastes, maybe even just trying to dive into what he actually meant by what he said because that doesn't seem to make sense. I don't know what it means. And don't give up on it and keep working on it. Well, that's what Ecclesiastes is written for. If you go through Proverbs and you just scan it over, you're probably going to miss 90% of it because it's meant to lock you in and to take you down and to drive you deeper into deeper questions and to actually come to the meaning. And so it's a process. It's a wrestle. And it's supposed to do that. But it's taking you to a good place in that process. So don't be afraid of it. And in our text today, Geheleth continues the journey and takes us on an, another path. Another pathway that he says there's lessons to learn down this pathway. And he starts off in Ecclesiastes. We're going to start in chapter 2, go from verse 1 down to 11. But before I do, let's pray and let's ask the Lord to open this to us. Uh, Father, we're here for you. And Lord, um, one of the major aspects of a human being worshiping God is that we meet with you and we hear from you. You want to hear from us in prayer, but we want to hear from you in your word. And so, Lord, we pray that today um, that this wouldn't just be words on a page of a book, but that you, Holy Spirit, would take it and make it real to us in our hearts and in our lives. So take us where you want us to go unpack these te- this text for us, um, help our hearts to become uh, aflamed with your word, and use us for your glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 1. I'm going to walk through it with you just a little bit, unpack it, unravel it a little bit, um, and then we'll make some conclusions at the end. First he says, I said in my heart, come now. I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. 
Now, isn't that so speaking to the next generation heart? We want to just have fun, right? I mean, who wants to go to school? Uh, who wants to do things that are responsible? I want to be with my friends and I want to have fun. Um, so one thing I know about growing up as a kid or having kids is you want to have fun with your friends. You want to live it up and you want to just have a great time in life. And, and, and so Kahelet comes right into that little instinct of heart at a young, in a young person's life. And he says, yeah, let's do that. And let's push it all the way to the end. And let's live it up. And let's not create any hindrance to maximizing that desire for fun and friends and highs and great times in life and live it up, set for life. Let's just push that all the way to its logical conclusion and let's go down that path and let's learn what we learn. Is it there? Is it to be found there? And that's what he's saying. Come now. Uh, what, he, what he says, I said in my heart, basically what, uh, what he's saying is uh, he's having a conversation with himself and he's inviting us in. Okay, yeah, let's go on that journey. I've been there, I've done that, come with me, come with me. Uh, uh, and he says, I said in my heart, now let's try pleasure. He says, come now. And that term there is actually a, a pivot term. In other words, let's start a new journey. Let's, we've exhausted one path, I'll talk about that one here in just a second, but Come now, let's try another path. A path that we often think is the place where it's going to be found. A place in life where that's where it's at. Uh, we all think that. We all have times in our life where we think down this path, this is, this is really where it's at. And so Kahelis is on an experimental journey here. And he's taking us on the journey with him. And he's trying to be very scientific about it. He's actually not rogue um, and irresponsible and ignorant. He's actually trying to test these waters and see if it's there. Where is it at? Where's the good stuff of life? Where can we find meaning and get satisfaction in this life, in this material world? What under the, what under the sun will give that to me? And Kohelet says, okay... We tried the quest for knowledge in chapter 1. We actually skipped that part, um, the last part of 1. And he says, the quest for knowledge came up empty. If your whole life is wrapped around knowing, knowing information about the world, knowing the world, growing in knowledge of the world and the universe, um, what he's saying is, I went down that path and I got a t-shirt. Stacked up all the books. I chased knowledge and wisdom all the way to the end. I amassed all the information that you can get, and it came up empty. It provided no ultimate meaning, and it ended up being unsatisfactory. Why? Because the more knowledge that you have, his conclusion here, is the, the clearer you see all the problems of life that you didn't see before that you can't solve and no one can. And if we apply that to today, and we think about this, we can say we know more than ever because Google puts that data in front of us when we want it, right when we want it. You can know anything you really want to know. I mean, I, do you remember living in a day where you just didn't know? You, you ask a question, you go, yeah, somebody knows. And you just keep living your life, right? Not now. Now? Hold on. I'll, answer, I'll, I'll find the answer right now, right here. And we won't have to be curious anymore. And you have that ability. So are we happier? Statistics says, oh no. Anxiety, up. Depression, up. 
grief, despair, suicide, you name it. Is knowledge solving it? Knowing more might create more problems in your soul. And many times, in some ways, Solomon seems to point at ignorance is bliss in, a, in some ways. But if here's the point, here's the point. If your identity and your pursuit of meaning and purpose in this world comes from knowing more about the universe, that's a dead end. You'll be more miserable by knowing more. That's it. That's where it ends up. And he says that's chapter 1. And so Solomon says the more you know, the more you grieve the state of this world and you can't do anything about it. The more you realize the situation you're in and it's not good. It's, it's uh, finite. But here in chapter 2, he pivots from the pursuit of knowledge and he says, let's try pleasure. Let's max every impulse, every instinct. Let's push it and let's fill it up, fill it up. And the philosophical approach for this is called hedonism. Are you all familiar with hedonism? Okay. Um, we want to be happy. Life is short. YOLO. All right. I had to learn what YOLO was. I, didn't, I thought it was a yogurt or something or a you know, yogurt place. Um, it's actually you only live once. Uh, you only live once. And some of our younger people and generation in America are actually doing some really uh, foolish things uh, with this whole YOLO movement. Um, but YOLO really is, is in a, in a if the, you only live once, man, go for it. Max it out. Live it up. Um, one of our most common responses as human beings to the brevity of our life, when we come into tune with the, the brevity of our life and our existence in this world, is to live life to the fullest. Pursue pleasure. Get the most pleasure while you can, while you live. Max it all out. And that's the meaning of it all. That's the point. But then he says, but behold, here's the conclusion. This also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? Now, the word laughter and pleasure are not synonyms. They're actually describing two different things from the same point. Uh, it's the he laughter is basically the Hebrew word for getting smashed and going to 6th Street. That's laughter, all right? It's the folly of a youth that's just friend, just partying it up, all right? Uh, pleasure is more of the Hebrew word for more sophisticated, high-class parties where you buy art. And he says, I've done them all, and they're all the same drive. Pleasure. And Kohelet is saying they may be different as to lower or high class, but they're both at the same core pursuit. Pleasure for meaning and purpose. In verse 3, I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what, is, what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. He says, I started partying to my heart's delight, and I took notes. <laughs> Not a class for young people, right? Not a good one. So, but he basically says, I did an experiment. Um, I, I pursued the right chemicals uh, to give me a buzz and a high. And, and, and I laid hold of folly and I let it all hang loose. That's what folly really is. And the whole time I was still asking in my mind, is this where it is? Um, is this where it's at? And at verse 4, I made great works. 
I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. He says, what he's saying here is I I basically built a life where all of the enjoyments of life are flowing inward to me. I'm building a life where all my only experience is only pleasure and enjoyment. And I'm ridding myself, I'm building my whole life of, of, of adding pleasure and enjoyment to me and removing all hardships and obstacles and things that, things that we don't enjoy. And removing all uh, hardships and pain. And so this is where he's trying to head. And he created a system here. I'm creating a life that suits my pleasures and does it for me. In verse 7, I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. The whole purpose for servants was to put the burden of the work on others so that you could get the enjoyment of it. Um, servants maintain everything. They cook everything. They prepare everything. They, they, they keep everything going. And they keep all of the resourcing of my pleasures going and flowing for me. Okay? All discomforts removed, all inconveniences removed, and you do it by saying, is that where it's at? This is the search. This is the experiment. Verse 8, I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. Um, Kohela says, I amassed wealth as a king to cover all the costs. Um, I had the ability to build all the resource channels for my pleasure cruise that I was able to build uh, and I had all the resources to do it. Now think about it. Now you might dream about this. But Kohela says, no, I didn't have to dream it. I did it. Nothing too expensive. Nothing was impossible to build. Nothing was out of reach. And I maxed it out. Today he would compare with Bezos. I read an article um, that I heard something about him. And I said, let me look into that. Well, what I found was he was buying a 400-foot yacht. And this yacht had its own smaller yacht that carried the helicopter pad. Because if, you, if, you, if you look at yachts, you'll see that almost all the big yachts have a helicopter pad on the yacht. But this is a yacht that's 400 feet, and it carries another yacht for the helicopter. I mean, can you imagine a life like that? You can go anywhere, anytime anything you really want to do nothing keeps you from it I mean think about that kind of life now all of us in America there's something even in us in young as young people that go that's where it's at that's where it's at and if you could get there that's where it's at Then he says, I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delights of the sons of man. He brought in the best bands. Line them up. ACL. I got him in my backyard with all my friends, all of his parties, brought it in. He had his pick of thousands of ladies. I don't know if you know what a concubine is, but it's basically whatever he wants. Baby makers. Um, has his choice. Had thousands of them. And he had his choice. Solomon actually had this. Um, 
You can party it up, and you can take your pick every day. Now, we'd all see as terrible. But think about it. I had no limit on sex. I maxed it out as far as I wanted to go, as many as I wanted to have. I maxed it out. Verse 9. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. Nobody partied and chased my pleasure censors like I did, says Kahela. And yet at the same time, I continued to stay tethered to the question, is this where it is? Because we all think that when you get there, it's going to be there. And I was wanting to ask that question, is it there? Verse 10. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. He even said even building the stuff was a thrill. There's a thrill to building, isn't there? I know especially me and men, maybe architects and builders. I mean, it's like the whole thrill of the whole process is, is really the, 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 you're building something that some people are going to enjoy or you're going to enjoy. Maybe you're building a dream house or whatever it might be. And even the building itself, I know it can be mixed emotions. That sometimes it's like a thrill ride of your life and others you want to kill people. Uh, but the dream, it's like this thrill ride to build. And he says, I built and then I built and then I wanted another building. And I built and I built and I built. This is what he's saying is I, the thrill of building, I just kept building. I kept building. I got creative in how to keep adding to my pleasure sensors. I created ways to, to experience new highs of pleasure. Verse 11, then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. I traveled the path of all my comforts and pleasure. I pushed all my pleasure sensors to the max. I removed all discomfort. I hewed out reservoirs that would pour pleasure into my life constantly with no discomfort. And he says it's a chasing the wind. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Chasing the wind. Um, you run hard and fast and try to catch it, and you spend all this time trying to catch it, but you never catch it, and you certainly can't keep it. That's the idea of chasing the wind. Pleasure-seeking as the source of meaning and purpose and happiness is a dead end. It's a wasted life. Let me give you a few things. The problem with pleasure, and then we'll be done. I could say... The problem of pleasure, but I'll just say the problem with pleasure. Um, number one, the problem with pleasure or living for pleasure as your meaning and purpose in life. That's where it's at. First, we tend to turn good things into ultimate things. That's the first problem with it. At the heart of secular hedonism, and I use the word secular hedonism because I am a hedonist. I want the highest happiness and pleasure afforded to me. I just know that that's in God and not in other things. But I want to be happy. But happiness comes from God. But when we're talking about secular hedonism, now you're talking about I'm trying to find all of that in this material world. Secular hedonism. And at the core, heart of secular hedonism is idolatry. You're taking a good thing and making it an ultimate thing in life. Isaiah 41, 29 says, idolatry is like empty wind. 
uh, it actually says the things of this world, you making the things of this world your ultimate thing, um, and, and is a delusion, and it comes to nothing and is empty wind. Uh, the word for idle in the Hebrew even is empty, vain. And when we make a good thing, any created thing, the ultimate thing, we make it our God, our idol. And, and, and we, we, we make that created thing a God to us. And, and what we're saying to it is we're saying to it, satisfy me. And what we find is that it can't because that's not what it was there for. Only one can do that. Who created sex? God created it. Somehow we sort of think differently. We're like this is this and then God's that, right? I mean, no, he made it. Uh, who created taste buds? Think about that. Um, is it not that we would enjoy the abundance of this world with our eating? And also tell us what bad not to eat, right? But why have taste buds? Why do we even need taste buds? Delight. Delight. Who created us with the ability to make and enjoy music? To, to feel the rhythm and to... And all the chemicals that fire whenever we enjoy something like that. Why even have it? What use is it in the world? If not just delight to the heart of men. What, who created the chemicals that fire in a young man's brain at the wedding altar when the woman shows up at the end of the aisle and this dude has lost his mind and desire? <laughs> Every time. He just saw her two hours ago. I don't even get it. They take all their pictures now early and all that stuff. And I'm like, you just saw her. And now you're freaking out in this moment. Like it's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. You know what? That is God. That is God. Delight and pleasure. Um, who created us with the ability to enjoy and have pleasure in this world? Obviously, it's God. God is not chintzy when it comes to pleasure. God created all things in this existence for us to enjoy. And Kaheleth says throughout Ecclesiastes, if you really want the pleasures of this world, then you can't make them the ultimate thing. If you really want the most pleasure out of a pleasure that God made, then you can't make them the ultimate thing. Because then they, that thing becomes the master and now you lose your purpose and meaning in it, and you can't actually enjoy it to the full. But when you know it comes from the good hand of God, and you find your meaning and your purpose for life in Him, it's eternity, it's securing, it's satisfying, it's peaceful. Now I can live this life with freedom and power to actually have that pleasure, and it actually be much more satisfying and rewarding than it ever could if that thing was my meaning. There's your life. There's where Ecclesiastes, there's where Koheleth is taking us. And if you get that first, pleasure makes sense. But pleasure is in its proper place. Secondly, it requires more and more and gives less and less. The second, the second time you get the rush, you want it again. But this time it takes more and it gives less. And the next time it'll take more and it'll give even less. And this is the whole principle of addiction, right? 
You get that initial wham rush of whatever it is that did it for you. And your body and your heart go, I want it again and again and again. And so you go for it again and you go, well, it wasn't quite as good as the first one. But maybe, maybe it's down the path a little bit. And you keep this little cycle going on. It's the law of diminishing returns. And even when you know it's happening, for some reason we can't stop trying to squeeze it for, for, for more of what it gave us originally. And we keep trying to make it give us what it did at the beginning, and it never does. It just keeps doing this. <laughs> and yet we keep thinking, well, maybe the, maybe the original is down a little further, and we just keep going. And this is the whole principle. When you make a good thing an ultimate thing, you start this downward cycle, and you end up dissatisfied, and what you find is it doesn't do it anymore. Thirdly, the lesson is not usually learned until the end. How long does it take a human being to learn this lesson in the chasing of their desires and their pleasures? How long does it take to learn this lesson? It can take a very long time, but the truth will surface. You will learn it. You'll learn it through experience. And you know the problem with that? That might take 25 years of your life. That's what Kohelet is trying to get you to not do. Most of the time, the, the realization hits after a long time of pursuing it. And it will hit eventually. And you'll come to the grips. Tommy Nelson said, this is so funny. He said, um, we all get to an age where we can finally build our dream castles that we worked our whole lives to be able to build, and that's also the age when we find we can't climb stairs. <laughs> Am I, is he right? I mean, that is just so true. But that's true with anything, not just your dream home, if that's all your life is all about. Nothing wrong with a dream home. I'll do your dream home. That's great. Good, hand, good from the hand of God. Absolutely. But if it's your life and it's your meaning and it's the thing that you're driving your whole life to get to, and then you get there and you can't climb stairs. Every pleasure in this world is that way. Every one of them. If it's your ultimate meaning and purpose in your life. Fourthly, it is self-indulgent and self-absorbed. It's a life of self-absorption. It's a life that's self-indulgent. Notice the word that Koheleth uses here, and I wanted to put all of these verses on here all at once, the phrases used. He says, I planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks. I made myself pools. I gathered for myself silver and gold. A life that is framed around the abundance of material things as our ultimate source of happiness is a life consumed with me. And all that toil and labor and work for my pleasure. And you may be doing it subconsciously. You may not even recognize I'm doing it for me. And yet the whole time you've lived a life of self-absorption. And Jesus said this in Luke chapter 12, 16 to 21. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man have produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns. I will build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, 
You ever talk to your soul? The Bible tells you to. Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. I have plenty. Put all the reservoirs of pleasure to me. I will have all comfort and ease the rest of my life and no discomfort. And Jesus says here in verse 20, But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? They go to somebody else that you don't know. This whole your life is all about you. All your life. And, and now you're, you put all those pleasures, somebody else is going to get all that you had, and then you lost the main thing in the whole process. And listen to what he says here. Your soul is required of you and the things you prepared. Who, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Jesus says, don't be duped. Don't be duped. Don't buy the lie that having ample goods laid up for your pleasure and your enjoyment and your comfort Relaxing and eating and drinking and be merry is where it is. He's saying, no, no. If you chase that as the ultimate thing, in the end, you lose everything. And it's really not about the money as much as it's about the idea that I can build a life of resources for my desire, my comfort, my delight, my pleasure. And it's seeking this without God. And Jesus is saying that's where the breakdown occurs. I want to close with this. Matthew 16, 24 to 26. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Listen to this powerful phrase here. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? And forfeits his soul. Or what shall, it, what shall a man give in return for his soul? Jesus says, <laughs> you can't find meaning in this created universe. It's not there. It's not intended to give that to you. Only I give meaning and purpose. Only in me can you live a life where you cannot lose. Do you know that Jesus is the only one that offers you the ability to, that you cannot lose in this life? All you have to do is follow his word. Follow his voice. And you cannot lose. You say, well, what if I get sick and die? You cannot lose. It has nothing on you. No one has anything on you. No one can do any ultimate harm to you. You cannot lose. Now... We're all in process of coming into that fully and trusting in that fully. But if that's true, in Jesus, you cannot lose. You see how that frees you? It frees you from making the things of this world your master. It frees you from taking the things of this world and making them the ultimate thing that they can't be. If you run around trying to save your life, the picture with Jesus talking about, save your life. If you try to save your life, you lose it. You're going to live for the things of this temporary world. You're going to live for your, pe- your pleasures and your passions and your desires. And you're going to live to fill it all up. And you're going to live for you. And you're going to do that. And you're going to save your life. And you're going to save your life. And then you're dead. And you lost everything. What did you really gain? You gained nothing. You gained nothing in that whole process. It's a person on the Titanic running through the kitchen looking for free filet mignon. You might find one and you might enjoy it for a second, but why? The point is get off the boat. 
You lose it all. However, Jesus says you, you, you lose your life. It's a decision. What do you mean lose your life? Well, he's talking about a person that becomes a follower of Christ loses control of their life. You give the control to him. And you say, you're the master of my life. I lose the ability to save my life. And I give the saving of my life to Jesus. And so in that, I do lose power on the grip of my life. I do. And if you become a Christian and you haven't lost that grip, you're not a Christian. You transfer the grip to Jesus. And you say, you have me. All I'm going to do is hear your word and obey you now. And Jesus says, that's where you find what you're looking for. That very place is where what you're looking for from this material world and it can't give you, that's where you get it. You find the life you're looking for because only I give it. I'm the only one that can give it. As the pleasures of this world say to us, if I could personify pleasures... And I could put a t-shirt on it that says pleasures. And I could talk to you from uh, that position. Pleasures would say, God put me here for your enjoyment. So come on. But he didn't put me here to give you meaning and purpose. And ultimate happiness. You got to go to him for that. What is a life well lived? Well, according to Kahela today, it's someone who learned quickly the lesson of pleasure. Don't waste your life on thinking that this world is going to do it. No pleasure in this world is going to do it. But yet when you have Christ and your hope and meaning and your ultimate happiness is secure in him and the promise that you can't lose is yours and that fills your heart and that hope fills your heart, you know what now? Now you're actually empowered because that pleasure has its proper place to enjoy that pleasure to its fullness and its intended purpose. God gave it for your enjoyment. God gave money for your enjoyment. God gives food for your enjoyment. God gives friends for your enjoyment. God gives dancing and music for your enjoyment. God gives those things for your enjoyment. But you know what? You're going to enjoy it much more when it's in its proper place than you ever could when it is your meaning. That's the point. Only God satisfies. Amen? The quicker we come to that conclusion, the better. Let's be a people who understand this and have lives that are well lived. Amen? Let's pray. Let's pray together. Father, we uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. And, Lord, we, uh, we want to be your people and uh, this is one thing, Lord Jesus, that you want firmly fixed in our heart. And how often we as even believers tend to sort of gravitate back to the mindset that maybe that's where it is. But Lord, what if a life of love and a life of sacrifice is where it is? We think about you, Lord. You had nothing you owned to your name. You put channels from you to humanity. You call your people 
to live thinking of the welfare of others above ourselves, loving our neighbor as ourselves, thinking about those channel reservoirs, the highest pleasure, living for the welfare of humanity around us, to be givers. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. You teach us to be givers if we want the highest pleasure, the highest happiness, the highest kind of life is to be generous to be a giver, and to bless others. Lord, walk us into these truths. Teach us, Holy Spirit, experimentally, experientially. Make us that kind of people. Make us a joyful people. Speak to us now in this time of response. Take us where you want us to go. We're all yours. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.